Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode in Speech Pathology Australia's Speak Up podcast series. I'm Mary Woodward, Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor, Justice and Mental Health, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Chantelle Edlington. Chantelle is the Discipline Senior Speech Pathology in the Early in Life Mental Health Service within Monash Health in Victoria, and also holds professional governance for the whole mental health programme within Monash Health. So hello Chantelle. Hi Mary, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, good. I was wondering if we might start off um, just finding out a little bit more about what sort of communication difficulties children and young people accessing mental health services present with. Sure. Um, Okay, well I guess it's quite a range just like any other service because we go from the age of um, zero all the way up to 18 within, within the ELM service. We're seeing young people with the typical developmental difficulties you might see. Um, Overall though I suspect probably the majority of the young people we see especially as they get a little bit older are often the ones with language disorders and pragmatic difficulties that are sometimes or quite often in fact undiagnosed. So um, a lot of our work tends to be um, trying to figure out exactly what's going on that's brought them to a mental health service that has um, been impacted by potentially an underlying communication difficulty. And when you when you mean communication difficulty, what sort of thing are you talking about? So sometimes I guess there's a there's um, a big interaction between mental health and um, and communication because obviously communication is how we form relationships and build relationships and things like that. And it without without relationships, we know that that's a, a big risk factor for mental health difficulties. So um, I guess in terms of what we sort of work on is um, figuring out, you know, are there developmental or neurodevelopmental um, areas that um, need to be looked at? Or are we seeing a young person who's presenting um, with some communication difficulties or some social withdrawal or school withdrawal or whatnot due to a, um, a language disorder that might be present? It may be something that's been there their whole life or it could be something transient that's come as a site or a symptom of um, depression, for example, or um, psychosis and things like that. Interesting. So how does a speech pathologist actually decide where to start then? It sounds like you'd potentially be looking at and working on all sorts of different things. Mm, Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess a big part of what we do in child and adolescent mental health is um, we figure out, uh, we do a thorough assessment on a young person as a whole. So instead of in the community, for example, if you're a private practitioner, you might have somebody come in and ask you to look at somebody's language. When you're a speech pathologist um, within a mental health service, you're looking at all aspects of the young person's uh, health and well-being. So we do things like we check out medical um, concerns. We have a look at their developmental history, but we're also looking at things like family functioning, background, um, their early life, um, whether there's been any evidence of trauma or attachment difficulties. Um, we have a think about parents and how they were parented and how that can impact on how their 
interacting and communicating with the young people as well. So um, we're looking at all sorts of things and not necessarily the speech pathologist doing all of that, but because we work in a team, that's sort of what we're going towards. And by the end of that, we're usually hoping to find a really nice, concise formulation about what's going on for the young person as a whole. Yep. Um, and our job is to sort of, I guess, bring the parents along with with us in that journey and help them to be able to see what's going on as well and then together with the family we can start to figure out what is the best course of action what are the priorities for the young person um, and it may not be what they first came in with for example we might get a child referred to us with selective mutism and then what we actually find is that underlying um, this selective mutism and potentially separation anxiety pattern is that there might be some domestic violence going on in the home or a, a parent with a mental illness that had previously been undiagnosed. So we never quite know what we're going to get, um, but always very interesting. So a thorough assessment and then figuring out goals jointly with That's the families. Right. Okay. With the families all the time, yeah, absolutely. I understand, um, and see, I mentioned it in my introduction, um, that you've got a lot of experience and so now you're in a more senior role. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about what that involves. Yeah, so I think I'm one of a, I'm, I think I'm very, very fortunate because I get to work with lots and lots of very smart people. So I'm very lucky in that way. But um, yeah, so my role has sort of developed into being a more general senior um, mental health clinician role, whereby I do some work um, in the community where I basically do uh, assessments for young people coming in from, um, for example, emergency departments and things like that. Um, I actually do some direct work in emergency departments, identifying the mental health needs of young people and um, identifying what are the best services for them moving forward. Yeah. Um, also up in the hospital, do a little bit of work in the hospital assessing people that might have come in with um, eating difficulties and things like that. So um, diagnosing eating disorders and, you know, potential other mental health difficulties like depression and anxiety. Um, so, yeah, so I, I guess, um, yeah, I, I'm quite lucky in that way. The other thing I... Um, that sounds like quite a kind of transdisciplinary role. That wouldn't... That's the kind of role yeah. that could be filled by other disciplines with the right levels Absolutely. of experience and training as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important for us as speeches to know that, you know, um, we can fill these roles um, and that we bring along our speech pathology and our communication lens to these roles that help the, the whole team, I guess, to see things from a communication point of view. Absolutely. So we do bring specific skills. Yeah. I, I do apologise. I did interrupt you before. <laughs> you were, oh, you were sorry. <laughs> um, um, I guess some of the other things that, um, yeah, so I'm lucky enough to be the discipline senior, obviously, um, which involves a lot of uh, supervision and clinical governance for the wonderful speeches who, who work here as well. Um, so a little bit of thinking about education, uh, about ensuring um, credentialing, about thinking about how our how we work within this service and how we can uh, sort of grow as a speech pathology group and um, how we can, I guess, breed new speech pathologists into working in this area and how we can help people to feel um, comfortable that mental health isn't a scary thing for speech pathologists to do. It's actually really good and interesting. 
So that that brings me to my final question then, I suppose. Um, you mentioned about kind of education and development of the speech pathology workforce to meet the needs in of this population. I was just wondering uh-huh. what, what advice you'd give or what, you know, is there any pr- particular professional development or training that you think that people who are interested might want to access? What sort of top tips do you have? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, top tips, eh? Um, <laughs> all right, well, look, I... It's a tricky one. I guess when whenever we um, have somebody apply for for a job, so it probably we're kind of looking for for certain things, and so this is sort of really is top tips really. But um, I guess what we what we're hoping or how most of us have gotten into this area is that we've worked with um, young people who have experienced trauma or attachment difficulties, and then we've gone into looking at. at what what is trauma how does trauma impact on development so any sorts of trauma training that are out there now i know there's certainly some free ones that are available online um but there's also um yeah some face-to-face things as well um so a a good place to start i guess is there's a a site called um, mhpod mhpod.gov.au which has a lot of online mental health learning um there's also the Centre for Mental Health Learning Victoria if it, for the Victorian ones, and I'm sure that there are um, other sites uh, in other states as well that are similar where you can get quite low-cost um, mental health training in areas that you find interesting. Uh, personally, we or most of the people that I work with here completed the Developmental Psychiatry course, which is a collaboration between mindful here in Melbourne and um, Melbourne University but a lot of other people um, tend to do their masters in mental health or child psychotherapy um, and other than that though yeah. there are things like um, circle of security training is is fantastic I think that's sort of like uh, one of the most fundamental sorts of training you can you can get if you want to get into this area it really gives you a thorough experience and understanding of attachment and how that can impact on relationships and then in terms of things like reading, like it's just about upskilling and if you find it interesting, you'll read more. So I guess um, people like Dan Siegel, he's got a lot of books out, um, John Bowlby, um, Mary Ainsworth, um, Pamela Snow has lots of articles which are very relevant. Um, in addition, um, obviously Suzanne Lim's been doing some professional development for Speech Pathology Australia. So things like that that um, centre around um, those sorts of areas are, are all um, things that can really help you sort of get a feel for this this type of work and see if it you know, I guess suits you and yeah and then move in from there. Wonderful thank you so much for sharing your your thoughts and insights into all of that it was it was really loving lovely hearing what you're up to and what your team is up to um, sounds like <laughs> such interesting important work. Mm, yeah thank you. Thank you very much Chantal. Okay thanks Mary take care. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.